take charge of your leadership development. Join our How to Take the Lead Substack community for bonus materials, exclusive content, and discussions that will challenge and change the way you lead. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find out more. You're not suggesting I have to become besties with Bozo Boris. No, I don't think (laughs) I don't think there's any chance that you would even agree to. You're listening to How to Take the Lead with Lee Griffith and Carrie Ann Wade. Two corporate colleagues turned business besties who question everything we've ever learned about leadership. What started with us putting the world to rights over a gin after work is now a weekly show challenging the myths and perceptions and exploring what leadership looks like in the modern day. We'll also be sharing our experiences and stories along the way. You can find our show notes at howtotakethelead.com. Hit subscribe to receive new episodes every Thursday. Plus, we'd love for you to rate or leave a review of the show. And please share your thoughts and stories on the topics we cover using the hashtag how to take the lead. Hello, it's another week. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's lovely to see you. I can't believe yeah, I can't believe it's another week already and another episode of the podcast. Yes. Have you had a good week? How's your week been? It's not been too bad and I've started my day today with a dip in the sea, which is a really nice start to the day. I wish that could be every day, but yeah, it was making me think about sort of routines and what gets you what gets you going in the day. So hopefully I'm on good form, (laughs) ready for an interesting debate. (laughs) I just had a cup of tea and catching up on the neighbours finale week. (gasps) Oh my goodness, I know. Oh, and it's like everyone's going to be in this episode. I, know, I yeah. can't wait I to see what's, yeah. I'm I know. Just... Have you been watching? Have you got back into it and watching it? I haven't really, but I've done a record for finale week just uh, so I can so I can binge watch. I started watching about three weeks ago and there's been a steady stream of old faces and it's like proper bringing out the nostalgia in me. Oh. I'm this short from driving over to my parents' house and digging out my original 1980s neighbours board game. But <gasps> 1980s? Oh my, that has got to be worth some money, hasn't it, now? Now, now there's going to be no more neighbours. I've got nobody to play with because the <laughs> husband, husband doesn't want anything to do with it or me. Oh, <laughs> no one to play with that makes me laugh we'll have to have a neighbor's board game meet up fabulous <laughs> got to wear 80s clothes though yes <laughs> same wash denim oversized jeans and some well I've, I've got the curly hair now so that's probably <laughs> i was going to say a crop top but i thought oh, no nobody needs to see me in a crop top <laughs> no no well, no no not to you i'm, I'm agreeing <laughs> yeah cheers mate <laughs> i'm agreeing that isn't a look that one wants to see of me either <laughs> anyway, as much as I would love for this to be a Neighbours Appreciation podcast today, <laughs> it's not. We are back with regular How to Take the Lead content. And today we are revisiting, through a different lens, I think, a topic that we've talked about a few, a few times before. Certainly when we were doing our lives over on Insta, we've covered it quite a lot. And that's diversity and inclusion. So whether it's race, gender, sexuality, religion. But I wanted to revisit the topic because for all the supportive talk that there's been and, and you know, the, the movements that we've seen over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm starting to question how much action is actually being taken by leaders and organisations beyond 
the tick box stuff or meeting their statutory commitments and sometimes they're not even doing that and I will be getting on a soapbox later. I've got your soapbox ready for you Lee because I thought that might happen today. (laughs) But I'm talking here about real action where leaders are taking up causes as their own, where they're challenging oppression, where they see it, where they're perhaps giving way to other people to allow others who aren't as privileged as them to come forward. And I suppose I want to understand why we're not further forward, why the same struggles and issues are being perpetuated and what can and should leaders be doing. And I suppose I come from this conversation, not as an expert, and I know you you won't be professing to be as such either. Absolutely not. We're far from being experts. We're both still learning. We openly recognise our own bias and privileges that we have. And I'm sure that there will have been opportunities that I could have been, could still be a better ally. And it's that that concept of allyship that I really want to explore today. And I know not everyone likes the term ally, preferring terms that are perhaps a bit more action-led, which again is, is a focus of our discussion today. But I do want to to stick with the term ally because I think it's a simple enough word that most people will understand what's meant by it. And I don't want to get in a protracted discussion around what's an alternative term to use. I think when we have spoken about allyship previously and when you traditionally think about it in the workplace, it's perhaps been focused on those people in your network who advocate for you, for example, or speak up for you or support your ideas and we've talked about this in previous episodes in the introvert one I was saying that I use my support network my my allies to help get my point across in meetings when I felt like I perhaps wasn't going to be so effective in doing so but I think being an ally is more than just supporting your friends and in a work setting I don't think we've always thought about the different ways we could perhaps provide allyship especially as a leader so that's why I wanted to focus through a slightly different angle than how we've covered it before. Yeah absolutely I I think you've raised some really interesting points there Lee and I think I don't know. I I think there's an opportunity for everybody, leader or not, to take some time to reflect on what it means to be an ally. And you're absolutely right. It's not about being a support and an advocate for the people you know or your mates. It's got to go beyond that. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see where this discussion takes us today. But absolutely like you, not professing to be an expert at all. I'm on a a learning journey. And even this week, I've had an opportunity to reflect on how I can be a better a better ally and more about the reasons why maybe I didn't take action on something which has been really interesting for me to reflect on something for me to to you know have in the front of my mind as I move forward so we're absolutely not having this conversation saying we've got all the answers and we're going to give you the toolkit to be a better ally as a leader but it is an important conversation not just for us to be having, but but for others to be having, I think, because you're right. I think some of my experiences, the, the tick box stuff, so leaders and organisations just, yep, we've we've achieved that ticket off, ticket off. And sometimes, you know, what what's being ticked off in a, a leader's list of actions they need to take to be a more inclusive organisation isn't always what it feels like further into that organization to work there so yeah I just feel like it's a constant uh, area that people need to be focused on and thinking about to be honest with you because yeah there's always more we can do but like you 
you know, what's the action we can take? And some of it will be about us as individuals and some of it will be that bigger organisational piece. Mm. So you're right about that constantly needs to be working on it. And I suppose my starting point for, for the discussion is the why. So why does it matter? Why should we be working on it? Why is it good for leaders and organisations to be better allies? Yeah, I guess from from my point of view, I'd start almost with the internal. So myself as a leader, I'm going to have my own set of biases because of my own personal experience, kind of my learned beliefs, my opinions, the experiences that I've had through my life and my working life are all going to have an impact in some way on the way in which I I choose to lead. So for me, there's Mm -hmm. something about the importance of being able to reflect on and understand more about your own biases and privileges and more importantly then the impacts that they're having on other people because if you are in a role as a leader you are there to encourage develop support other people to grow to take people on a journey with you towards some sort of common goal or purpose and actually if you don't understand the impact of your own biases on other people who are different to you and who have different experiences to you, then that's potentially, I think, going to cause issues in, in building those relationships and, and being able to lead. That's really important. And that sense, I know we've got another episode coming up around trust, but I do think that understanding and that connection with your teams and knowing what they might need and how that might be different from you is a really important part of building that trust. If you look at it from a, from the flip side, I suppose, if people don't feel comfortable or welcome in the workplace, we know what the implications of that are. They're more likely to leave. They're probably going to be feeling quite stressed or having some form of illness in, or definitely feel unsafe in the workplace. That has ripples and a whole knock-on effect to the culture of an organisation. And we know, we've talked about this a lot, that the impact it can have on productivity, on innovation, on the customer experience, on staff morale, all of these things. And that's why you need to create a sense of safety and security for your employees and that's all your employees not just the majority and that is that culture piece I think that you've raised that resonates with me in terms of what culture are you trying to create and embed in your organization and as you say if if the culture you're creating isn't one where people from whatever background feel like they can grow and thrive and they therefore performing well being productive all of those things you've mentioned then actually what sort of organization have you got because you're not going to be delivering on your vision and your goals as an organization so I I think that piece you've raised around the impact on culture for me probably is really important we hear we hear all the sayings don't we culture eat strategy for breakfast culture mm-hmm. culture drives performance and all of that kind of stuff so I, I think that link is is probably a really strong one organizationally so you've got the why why it's important and then I suppose there's the what so we know that there are the big topics that people focus in on race sexuality gender as examples but it doesn't start or stop there, I suppose, in terms of opportunities to show allyship. We know that it's intricate, it's complex, it's nuanced, it's very different for different people. People often fall into 
two or more marginalized groups so it's not like you can just pick someone up and put them in their little box and and that's it sorted you know who they are and and how to treat them and I think organizations do try to put pick people up and put them in a little box and that's probably one of the issues that, that we need to discuss so when we talk about allyship what could that encompass I suppose what does showing up as an ally look like in the workplace I think there's a couple of things for me that spring to mind as you're speaking. I guess the first one is about that understanding, that listening and that that point you've made about not labelling people and judging them and go, oh, right, they've got one label, so that's where they fit. Because actually, like you say, we've all got lots of different things that are impacting on our ability to show up day to day. Mm-hmm. And it's not always as straightforward as, oh, because they've got X disability and not able or less able to do something or because they're a woman that this is the impact everybody's more than one thing so I think the bit for me around what you can do is start to think about how you can create a safe space for debate and enable colleagues in your organization or your team members to be able to feel like there's psychological safety within the team and the Mm. organization that they work for and that actually if they choose to raise an issue the way that that is responded to is going to be in a positive way that actually they're encouraged to raise concerns and issues about how they're being treated, how processes are impacting them, for example, in the workplace. And I think you have to cr- try to create that safe space to have the conversation because you have to understand the other person's point of view and where yeah. they're coming from and what the issues are. You can't just sit at the top of an organization and assume that you know best. You have to be able to listen and check back in I think that what you're hearing is what that person or that group of people are trying to say to you so I guess there's lots of practical ways you can try to do that through things like staff networking you know uh, the organization I currently work in has got a whole host of staff networks and it's really interesting the point you made about labels because we do have for example a disability staff network and then actually feedback from colleagues was well the disability that I've got doesn't ever really get talked about in Mm. that network because it's too broad so then actually we've other like smaller network groups have have come off of that so we've got a group that's for people with dyslexia for example so it's just quite interesting that I think we try to put these big broad labels on things and it's so much more complicated than that but actually hearing what people are saying means you can take action to help give them that voice. Yeah and we've had this discussion before as women and our sense of we are women leaders who don't have children yeah and often discussions around supporting women in the workplace is supporting women to juggle childcare and being a mother and all of that which is really important but that isn't our experience yeah. And we don't necessarily always feel like we got a voice. Our identity wasn't recognised because we didn't fall into that nice piece of work people were doing around flexible working for mums. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And sometimes the impact of how that's made, I can't speak for you, but made me feel is that I've got it easier because I don't Mm. have that caring responsibility Mm. for children. So like you say, it, it is those unintended consequences, isn't it, of labeling things too much so I'm not saying it's not important to do those pieces of work but if you only choose to focus on one what's the unintended consequence on on other groups of people who then might feel disenfranchised because the impacts for them are different and then I guess that the other thing that just sprang to mind as you you were talking and asking that question was around what your role is as a role model and a leader Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. think part of creating 
that safe space is openly demonstrating that you're okay to have some of those difficult conversations and it absolutely doesn't and shouldn't be about these are the things where I feel I'm hard done by because that's that's not what you should be doing as a leader making it about yourself but it should be about being able to talk about things and share some of your own experience to demonstrate to others that you're going to be open to having those conversations so yeah for me uh, my most recent example would be around the menopause so mm. you know part of being a woman in the workplace part of reaching an age or a stage in your life is that at some point you will hit the menopause and that will have impacts for you in your working life and actually it's only been very recently that people have felt more open and able to talk about that but I in a couple of conversations in the workplace recently I've been getting very forgetful actually and thinking am I perimenopausal and I've actually said that in a couple of meetings and it's been really interesting to see people's response because some people have been a bit like Oh, I wasn't expecting you to say that. Like now, <laughs> now I don't really know how to respond. And I, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot that. I, honestly, I think I'm perimenopausal, and it's having a real impact on me. But actually, in other conversations, it's really opened up a dialogue where other people have gone, "Oh, God, I'm really glad you said that because you know I've been experiencing that, but I haven't really felt able to say because just saying I've you know got a bit forgetful and I've got brain fog feels like a bit of a cop out. But actually, mm-hmm. now I've heard you say it. So there's just something about doesn't have to be always big things, but just in how you're interacting as a leader, are you making it okay for people to disclose and be open about the things that are impacting them in the workplace? I mean, you say that not a big thing. That probably was a bloody big thing for that person who's perhaps silently struggling and feeling like they couldn't, A, be their authentic self and, and be open about what what they were feeling at that moment and I think yeah you just speaking your truth has enabled someone else to go a there's someone that's like me and b oh it's okay to talk about this here so I don't belittle that encounter I think that's a big one yeah so so they were the couple of things that I mean loads more obviously but like sprung to my mind as you were kind of asking there I think as leaders in organisations, you are in such a powerful position to make change happen and to change the system that perhaps are being oppressive to other people. And I think we can underestimate that and think it's got to be aligned with, I don't know, well, well maybe, maybe, yes, it's got to be aligned with big strategy and the direction of the organisation. You can put that lens on there or you can reflect back at how is this going to impact on X, Y and Z and don't just leave it to the diversity and inclusion person to to do their tick box, for example, when you make a change. So I do think there's a really big responsibility and opportunity you've got as a leader in terms of big change. And then I think there's the smaller moves that all leaders could and should be taking so whether it is I don't know respecting someone's request to use a certain pronoun when they're being addressed for example it could be if you're as leaders are invited often to take part in panel discussions or to speak at a conference or to I don't know judge some awards or something whatever it is maybe you're interviewing and you, you'll say yes or no based on your preferences and whether it fits with what you want to do. But 
maybe as leaders, we should be doing more, not maybe, we should be doing more around going, well, who else is involved in this? Is it diverse enough? Am I perhaps holding a space that could be better used by someone else whose voice isn't heard that often? And being a, a leader that is an ally is someone that's willing to go, I'm going to step back and give this opportunity to someone else. Yeah. Or it could be finding someone in your organisation that you can sponsor and make sure that you're helping them to get the best opportunities that they can. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, we say they're little things, but they're probably not for the people on the receiving no. end of that. We, no. Like we, we think actually in the grand scheme of our life as a leader, is it a big deal to give up a speaking opportunity and put someone else forward? Probably not for us, but for the person that you might be putting forward, that will be a really massive opportunity. And they're really practical things as well. As you're talking, I'm thinking they are just so practical they're not things that are difficult to do and I think sometimes that's what happens in this space around allyship and diversity and inclusion I think sometimes there's a fear that everything has to be like a big statement and and everything is too challenging to try to tackle because they are such big issues but actually it's those small steps and those small things that really start to have an impact particularly over time and I do think sometimes the I suppose the thought process, let's just take a panel discussion, for example. It could be, is it my responsibility to check who else is on the panel? Is it my responsibility to give up my space? Should it not be for the conference person to do? My objective is to raise my profile and get my thought leadership out there. So why should I give way? Why can't someone else do that? But if we all think like that, it needs someone to start taking the first step and to start putting that challenge in. So why not be you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Change will never happen if we're all sat there thinking it's somebody else's job to do it. Oh, well, I mm. won't do it because surely someone else should because they're more senior or they've had a longer career or whatever the thing is but actually as you say we if we're all sat there doing that change will never happen so mm-hmm. so yeah be, be the change so going back to the beginning where you were talking about the biases that we all have knowingly or unknowingly where do you begin in identifying what your biases might be how might you perhaps need to change if you've identified a bias or if you've decided actually I don't think I am being visible enough on a certain issue I think the first place to start is a being able to feel open with yourself about doing that reflection piece I think Mm. you do need to spend some time reflecting on maybe some of the stereotypes that you may have of different groups of people some of the prejudices that you may have and being really honest with yourself about what they are and maybe trying to understand a little bit more about where they've come from is again is it that about learned beliefs early on in life for example where have those opinions and thoughts come from I think there's something about taking responsibility to educate yourself as well and there are so many resources out there I'm probably going to mention this one a lot but something that I've found really helpful in terms of kind of challenging my own thinking is a a book called Diversify by Jean Sarpong it's all around how to challenge inequality and and why we should do it and not just in the workspace but in life in general for me that book I'll talk about it probably a bit more later but that that book has been really helpful in terms of feeling able to challenge my own thinking and my own perceptions and giving me ideas about what I can do 
to change my practice. And that's not just the one book. There's absolutely tons of resources out there. And then I think there's also something about as you're moving through your daily life as a leader, and this is going to sound, I don't know, I don't know how people take this. There's something about practicing mindfulness. But for me, mm. I mean mindfulness specifically focused on being aware of the thoughts and associations you're having when you're dealing with people who maybe yeah. are different to you. Yeah. And, and then being able to process those and think through the impacts that they're having and why you're having those thoughts. So yeah. that, that was just some of my initial thinking, but I, I know you'll have more to say, I'm sure, on that. Well, one, one of the things that and we've talked about leaders making sure they're not in their own echo chamber, and I think this is one where it's a really important area to question. Am I surrounded by the same people or people that are just look and talk and have the same thoughts of me? If, if you are in that situation, you, you're really likely to have a strong bias. We know diversity breeds diverse thinking and approaches. So there is something about that. And I'm just completely coincidentally, I'm reading Matthew Syed's Rebel Ideas at the moment. And on the train home last night, he's got a whole chapter on echo chambers. And it was really interesting that he was talking about echo chambers is not about ignoring alternative sources of information, but about undermining trust in alternative sources of information. And it just got me thinking that so often that sense of your bias and belief and trust in something, if you're surrounded by loads of people saying the same stuff and there's only one voice saying something else, do you have that trust in the information? Or are you going to challenge it? Are you going to really look at it? As a yeah. leader, ensuring that you're getting a variety of voices around your table, in your ear, however you want to do it, but also not just taking all of that at face value as well and doing your own work and even the work that you do and what you read, questioning it and and trying to come from it from a really neutral point of view. And I suppose it's that triangulation piece as well, isn't it? It's yeah. always important that you don't just take everything from from face value. Yeah, it's it's funny you should say that. In Diversify, actually, there's a chapter called The Other View, which is quite near to the end of the book, actually. And it is about how you, once you've understood more about your own biases and prejudices, how you then seek out the other view. And mm. there's steps in there about, we've talked about this already, creating a safe space for debate. But there's also something in there about finding the middle ground as well, mm. that mm. actually that will help you with some of that challenging not taking things on face value sometimes that can be hard to do but can you find that middle ground not being complacent in terms of your own behaviors but also like you've said what what feedback you're getting don't be complacent in just taking that at face value and going right tick that's that done that's what the data tells us and then being open to facing the challenge. But one of the things it made me think about when you were talking about that chapter of the book was there's an exercise that it challenges you to do, which is to go to the website of a political party that has the opposite views of you and basically almost to kind of take that in and then and then do a review of that and identify where that challenge comes from for you, why that feels difficult, but also trying to open your mind to why they might have that point of view. So, I mean, a difficult one to do for many people, I'm sure. But I just, it was quite interesting as a sort of practical way forward to, to test out how you can not take things on face value and really start to dig underneath what your own prejudices and biases are. You're, you're not suggesting I have to become besties with Bozo Boris. Do no, you? I don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's any chance that you would even agree to 
<laughs> attempt to become anything close to even an acquaintance of Bozo. But you're, you're right in the point, and my husband tells me this all the time when I go off on one about our beloved government at the moment. And whilst he is impartial in his political views, he does challenge me to not just dismiss things that they say because they're not someone that ideologically aligns with me. And I, through gritted teeth, agree with that and actually separately have been listening to the Rest is Politics podcast with Rory Stewart on and I've then been raving about how how I've been loving him and I've really warmed (laughs) him and and he just goes you do realise he's a Tory don't you and I'm like yes yes I do he goes so you do realise that my points that I've previously made are (laughs) you do realise that I told you so Lee But all of that is about challenging some of our own bias, isn't it? And being open to hearing different points of view and understanding where other people are coming from. And and it doesn't always mean that you have to agree with it. And it also doesn't always mean that it will resonate with you if that's not your experience. But you have to accept that other people have a different experience to you and that's okay. Yeah. Well, Yeah. Well, sometimes it's not okay because their experience is negative. But what I mean is, you know, you can't, you can't, be judging everybody and taking your own actions based solely on your own personal experience. Yeah. There are a couple of things that you mentioned that I just wanted to come back on. One was the thing around data and the data that you get as a leader. And I do think that there is, I suppose, a warning that needs to come with Mm. data because you might assume something isn't an issue because it isn't perhaps statistically significant. And when you're looking at big numbers and big reports, something doesn't stick out as an issue. But I think when it comes to matters of inclusion and ensuring that you're having equal opportunities or whatever it might be in your organisation, I don't think you can assume that issues are invalid because you don't have statistically significant data to go with it. So I do think you need to take data with caution. Yeah, 100%. And there's something for me about, do you even really feel like you know how to delve into that data to understand what it's telling you? Because on face Mm -hmm. value, it might be telling you one thing that gives you your big tick in the box. Yeah, we're doing really well on that one. But actually the point you made earlier about triangulation, are you able to triangulate that and then and then see that that is valid? Or actually do you need to dig a bit deeper to understand that actually the data is not telling you quite what you think? And again, yeah. the data might say one thing, but the experience, lived experience in your organisation might be quite different. And And I often think that about staff surveys when people get really excited because they've got a really high percentage of, you know, women have responded or a really high percentage of of people from a certain ethnic group have responded to the survey which is brilliant but I'm always more interested in the people who haven't responded yeah because what's the reason that they're not engaging I, yeah I do think you do have to take data with that health warning that it, I don't think it can just be about the data that's being presented to you as a leader No. And then the other area I wanted to pick up was on the notion of education. And absolutely, this is really important. We said this from the outset, we all need to continually educate ourselves. And there are lots of ways that you can do that. It isn't just about, I've read a book and now I know what I need to do. I think there is, again, we need to be mindful of the burden we might be placing on other people, because I think often we'll go, right, well, you know, 
it's that person's responsibility to educate me if you've got a designated person, for example, in your organisation. Or, I don't know, you've got a friend who fits into the box of the issue that you're researching and therefore you think that they are the person that's going to have to answer all your questions. Now, they've got no responsibility to answer your questions. I think you almost have to ask permission of someone before you approach them and ask them questions to further your own yeah. knowledge and, and understanding I think you need to make sure you approach them with humility and have an open attitude and you're not having a discussion to have a debate or a challenge it's about asking questions that is going to help you in a non-defensive way learn about where you might need to improve stuff so you know it's not necessarily going to your friend and going well, can you educate me on the history of slavery and why why it's such an issue for you nowadays or, as an example it might be going to colleagues in your organization asking permission to have a conversation with them and then asking them you know what are you finding the most challenging working here that I might not be able no. to see yeah exactly or if there's one thing that me and the team could do to improve your experience here what would that be what advice would you give me so that I can be a better ally for you? So asking non-judgmental, non-directive questions that are really open and then be willing to listen to those. Back to the triangulation point, I do think that just speaking to one person and getting one person's experience doesn't mean that they're talking on behalf of everyone else that's affected by that issue. So I do think you need to speak to a variety of people and and test it as well yeah and then there's that thing around not projecting your thoughts and attitudes or behaviors onto others we've already spoken in this episode about being women leaders who aren't mothers but we can't assume that our views on that are the same to, as other women who yeah. were in our position yeah absolutely and I think I think the, it's about being respectful isn't it and mm. non-judgmental and I like how you described approaching those conversations because it's not about you having a debate or if you're going to go into that space to learn you're having a learning conversation where you're open to hearing what that other person says and and genuinely wanting to learn and understand more and not going oh that's the opposite of my own experience so I'm going to challenge that now it's not about having a debate it's about learning so if that's the route you're taking to educate yourself you're absolutely right you have to be open-minded and non-judgmental in that space I think because again we've mentioned trust before you're trying to build trust in people to want to open up to you and actually mm -hmm. people who maybe do feel marginalized or disenfranchised sometimes won't find it as easy to say to you this is what it feels like to work here because they're worried it's going to have an impact on them. So again, Absolutely. it's about how are you creating that safe space to have that debate and conversation where people feel that they're not going to be blamed or judged or negatively impacted by actually telling you their truth. I think that situational and cultural awareness, there will be cultural norms, for example, that women won't in some cultures women don't like to give negative feedback for example or they won't um be challenging or negative to their seniors and that's just the way that they are and you need to have an understanding of that before you enter into a dialogue don't you i think that one of the other 
areas that I definitely would like to see more progress on is that support in the moment. And I think leaders can be doing that now. Don't wait until afterwards. I've seen situations where something's happened that's been really awkward and then afterwards the boss comes in and has a quiet word of you and goes, oh, I'm really sorry that, you know, that happened. Or they try and apologise on behalf of someone else that said something really inappropriate and go, well, you know. That's what they didn't like. mean it. They were, yeah, they were only I'll joking, one, yeah. you know, which is gaslighting. And I know not everyone likes that term, but I think we need to be, as leaders really mindful of how we are managing and showing up in situations when things occur but also in situations so let's just say if you're in a group where you're a man you're with a group of men someone makes a sexist comment or a joke don't think oh I can let it slide this time because there's no women around to see me be an ally I think there's something about being consistent in showing up and tackling it it's the same with conversations about racism in your family if, if older people yeah. have certain views and you shouldn't just let it slide because it's the it's generational yeah. oh, it's, it's generational don't worry about it yeah it's funny you should mention that I, I saw on tv last night actually the hope united advert where it's all the female footballers who right. it's like little clips of them how they've faced sexism in what they're doing and then actually there's a male football team that comes on to basically say it's not their job to challenge sexism. It's our job. We have to stop the sex hate, basically. And I thought oh, that was well. quite interesting. It was quite, quite powerful, actually. At Cats Pajamas, we empower brilliant communications professionals to grow and thrive in their careers through mentoring, collaboration and community. If you'd like to find out more or subscribe to our newsletter, you can visit www.cats-pajamas.co.uk where you can even book your free 30-minute discovery call. I'm so passionate about helping comms pros to grow and thrive and I'm really looking forward to working with you. Hi there, if you're enjoying this episode of How to Take the Lead, please hit subscribe and go leave a review or rating. We'd also love to hear your stories and thoughts on today's topic. Please DM us, our links are in the show notes, or tag us into your socials using the hashtag how to take the lead. So we know that employees want their leaders to be speaking up and speaking out on the issues that are important to them. We've seen this in all sorts of surveys and research that's been done over the last few years. But one of the reasons I often hear that leaders aren't able or feel scared to speak up on some issues is that fear that they're going to get it wrong Mm. or if they get it wrong, they're going to be cancelled. So how do you get over that? If that is where you genuinely are at at the moment, you just don't really know what to do. I think that comes back to that point we were saying about the education piece and also all that stuff you talked about around just not being in an echo chamber. So I think if there is a, a topic that it is really clear that you should be speaking out about, but you've got that fear factor of, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't understand enough about this issue. You know, am I going to make it worse if I say something? Are you doing enough to seek out some advice from the people who are impacted by that issue to understand actually what it is that they need from you? Because actually, mm. if you're a- able to hear that and understand that from people, then I think that will make you feel less fearful about 
the reason behind what the statement that you're making or the action that you're planning to take. So for me, I think I don't want to say it's like a comfort blanket, but it's that security that actually you're not just speaking out and saying it because it's your opinion on it. You're actually doing that in an educated and informed way. And you're asking people in your workforce, what is it that we need to do to support this? And again, being conscious of don't just go to the diversity and inclusion need because that's usually one person. It's not one person's job. But, you know, have you got a diverse enough group of people around you that you can have a bit of a debate and conversation about what's the right thing to do here? We do need to make a statement, speak out. I'm going to front it, but I just need to just almost have that sense check I think maybe before you say something if it's fear of saying or doing the wrong thing that's holding you back. I think also that we go back to the fundamentals of being a good leader we're all going to get something wrong at some point and as leaders we shouldn't be striving for perfection we should be able to fail and to be able to handle failure if it happens because that is where true leaders grow and where they build the connection and all that kind of stuff so I do think if you're in that mindset of it needs to be perfect just remember as a leader you should never be striving for that anyway and it's about being human isn't it and demonstrating compassion as a human being that's fundamentally what you need to do and like Mm. you say if you're coming at it from the right place and doing that with integrity then like you say if you miss the mark and you get it wrong then you handle that at the time I think it's worse for leaders if they are not acting in a genuine way that then when it goes wrong it's much harder to deal with so as we've always talked about in how to take the lead we think you should be acting with integrity and authenticity and then that's how you should handle it if it doesn't quite go how you think it's going to and I think if you are Again, looking at that from the perspective of how do you challenge and and show allyship in the moment if something's going to happen, if someone perhaps shares a view or a thought that isn't supportive or isn't inclusive or whatever, and you need as a leader to demonstrate that you're going to speak up and stick up for other people in that moment. I think there's stuff that you could be doing in advance. So I think there are ways that you could perhaps prepare for because it. You can guess the types of stuff that might be coming up. You could probably think back at examples where previously you could have gone, oh, I, sh- I could have, should have, would have said something if I knew what to say. And you could use that as a basis of right, well, what would I say? What questions or response could I give if something like this was to arise again in the future? I think if you prepare, you're more likely to say it when the moment arises if you feel unprepared you're more likely to let it slide so I do think there's something about preparation I think there's something about not worrying yourself that you need to have lots of facts and information to hand in order to be able to have an informed discussion with someone because I, I think often this isn't about challenging someone on facts that isn't the thing that's there for the debate it's trying to understand someone else's position and why they think or feel that way. And so I don't think you need to worry yourself with facts that stack up what you want to say or how you want to challenge it. It's, it's what's the questions you're going to do to try and understand why someone else is up behaving or saying something or whatever in the way that they do. 
And sometimes it's about just nailing your colours to a mast, isn't it? And saying that I'm really sorry, that's not acceptable, that behaviour. Because mm. you're right, it's usually about behaviour or an attitude or a statement that someone's made that you're challenging rather than, like you say, facts and figures of things. And actually, I think you'd be very well respected as a leader if somebody shared an opinion or a comment that clearly was not acceptable and was causing harm to others by what they've said I think just by saying that's not acceptable that's not behavior that we accept in this organization that's not something that I'm willing to support I think will help you then open up the further debate about okay what action needs to be taken but sometimes colleagues just need to see that you're not going to accept certain behaviors so right I'm going there I'm I'm getting the soapbox out because <laughs> I'm amazed it's taken this long to be honest with you Lee I feel like it's sort of been hovering there waiting for you to jump on it so something that has genuinely really upset me in the past week is the response to the cricket Scotland scandal and it is a scandal 29 out of 31 tests on institutional racism were failed. They found 448 examples of institutional racism. It is a scandal. And on the day that the report was released, I sat down and watched the full press conference that some of the players and their lawyer held. And the lawyer said that it was you know, rightly, this, this is a watershed moment for everyone, not just cricket. But then I came away and I saw hardly any comment on social media. There were no trending hashtags over the 24 hours that followed. And still to this day, I, I believe the leader of the Scottish government didn't make a comment on it. None of the sponsors of Cricket Scotland made a comment on this issue. And I posted about it on all my socials more than once. And I got really little engagement on it too. And it really pissed me off. I mean, beyond pissed me off. I, I was just in, you know, what does it say about our society that we can pick and choose which causes we support when it comes to things like discrimination and racism? And it got me thinking because I know some organisations on paper will think, well, this isn't relevant to them they've already got it in hand maybe they think they're doing okay maybe their gender pay reports fine maybe they've shown that they've got a representative and diverse board maybe they've ticked all the boxes in their equality audits or whatever they might do as an organization maybe they've issued a few supportive statements over the time or there's been some board papers about the big issues Potentially they've made some donations. I, I don't know what, what they might do, but I want to get quite uncomfortable for a minute because I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking like that, then that's your complacency showing through right there. That's your bias and that's your privilege really showing up. Because none of those things are tangible actions that are really moving the dial. There's always more things that people can do. We are all still learning, as we've, we've already said. And I can guarantee you that if you go into one or more areas or departments in your business and you ask open questions, if you really listen, if you put your biases aside, you are going to see so many opportunities to be a better ally. The words aren't enough without actions being taken and I don't think the big gestures are enough without the smaller steps happening 
along the way. So I say all that to say my reflection and my question, I suppose, is do you think organisations are really ready for that, to, to get involved, to advocate, to make change? Or have, have they just met their threshold now? Have they done what they can when there are so many other competing issues at hand? We know the urgent often pushes out the important. Have, have we seen that now with the discrimination and inclusion debates that are going on? We've certainly seen it with things like the economy versus climate change. And I wonder whether this is another victim of it being pushed out for, for more pressing issues. You know, what needs to happen next to, to get it back on the agenda? Yeah, there is there is so much in that, isn't there? And and like you say, I, I have to hold my hands up and say this week was a learning and reflection opportunity for me because we've had some of this discussion already and I had to question why wasn't I one of the people that actually did something with what you shared on social media, given that I have that direct link with you? And and I guess... F-bombs were shared, Yeah, F-bombs were shared. But in, in genuine seriousness, again, it's like trying to understand why people might not be taking action. And there's a personal bit for me there about maybe for me, it was fear that I didn't know enough. But actually, I should have reframed that and gone, this is an opportunity to learn more. Not, I'm not going to be part of this conversation and debate and raise awareness of this issue because I don't know enough. Actually, what I should be doing is raise the awareness of it because I need to learn more. So for yeah. me, that was a really important reflection point. And I just, I don't know if organisations and leaders are having enough of that conversation about what more do we need to do? What action do we need to take? And I think you're right. There is a level of complacency across different organisations, I think, about we've ticked all our boxes. We've met all of our targets. Maybe those targets are not extreme enough. Maybe they're too easy to achieve so that people can feel like they've hit those targets. And you talked about, have you got a diverse board? That's usually a target for somebody. And I've had a recent conversation about an organization that basically was like, oh, well, we've hit our target on diversity because we set ourselves out to have, I think it was something like four board members from diverse backgrounds. And I'm like, shouldn't the target be that you've got less white board members than anyone else like maybe you're not pushing yourself enough so for me it's yeah it's interesting I, d I don't know what the answer is about how we kind of reignite this debate in into something that people actually can't ignore and I think that's part of the issue isn't it other things get pushed out e economy the cost of living crisis all of that stuff now is probably on the minds of employers more than some of this debate and topic but there's something for me, I find that really interesting, what you said about like leaders across Scotland haven't stepped up to even share a thought, a comment or a disappointment in anything that's been shared. And actually, you know, the stats that you gave from that report, absolutely shocking. And actually, are organisations clear that if this happened to them, they wouldn't have 440, I can't quite remember the stats, so I don't want to misquote yeah. you, but are organisations sure that they wouldn't be in that same position? If they had colleagues sat in a press conference mm. saying that, do you really know what your colleagues would be saying? Do you know what the findings of a report like that on your organisation would be? And that should make you want to stand up and take notice. I've read all 55 pages of the report and you, know, you don't need to be a cricket fan. You don't need to even understand cricket to, to glean lessons. This is about how an organisation runs and works and supports the people that work within it, how it fosters 
an inclusive and supportive environment for people to work in. And the recommendations that are made, I could easily see them being recommendations in a hospital or in a supermarket or, or wherever it might be. They, they are generic in the sense of the impact that they have because they're not about, you know, you need to bowl in a certain way or bat or whatever. I don't, I don't know my... All of, your sport, I don't, I don't... all of your sporting prowess is coming out here, Lily. <laughs> but that's the I point, isn't it? You don't need to know about cricket to know that the stuff in that report is stuff that you should care about if you are part of an organisation. And that's part of my learning this week. So thank you, Lee, for giving me a shake-up. It worries me because I think if we are going to get through the next few years with everything that we've got on the horizon with cost of living and this, that and the other, we need to be pulling together and supporting each other as a society. If we don't stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves, then we're creating a, a much larger divide than we are at the minute. And I do think we're setting ourselves up for a fall. I'm not necessarily a, a massive fan of having, well, they do a good job diversity and inclusion managers in organisations, don't get me wrong. But I do think organisations put all the weight of, with any type of topic, when you've got a specialist in that area that leads it and takes responsibility for it, I think organisations then have that mentality with, well, that's so-and-so's responsibility. They'll tell us what we need to yeah. do and we'll engage at the points that we need to engage, but we don't need to get any further involved in the detail of the discussion. Yeah, And I do think that it is seen most clearly in areas like diversity and inclusion yeah it makes people feel like they don't have to take responsibility for it because it's somebody else's job I use inverted commas it's somebody else's job to be worried about and it isn't and we need to find a way to make this everybody's business it's all of our jobs and especially as leaders but you know if you're an employee in an organization you will have an impact on the culture you will have an influence no matter how small it is and no matter how much you think you don't have one so it's everybody's job to do the right thing so i don't think we've come to a conclusion and i wasn't suggesting that we'd have the answers to the world's problems in in posing that question but i suppose i wanted to pose it because i want to challenge people's complacency around it because i do think that's where we're at and i think that's that's why we've not seen a response this week and it really upset me as i said Anyway, we move on for now. I'd love people who listen to this, if they've made it this far, to, to give your thoughts on that specific question and what you think, what else could be done. I'd be really, really interested to have a discussion about that. So to, to wrap up, how to lead by example and become a better ally, what, what are your Gosh, there's been so much in this conversation. I think for me, it's about understanding your own biases, about educating yourself. I'm going to hugely recommend this book, Diversified by Jean Sarpong. I love it because there's actual actions, there's questions that it's going to pose you, there's tasks it sets you to do. So I think that sets you on the right track to not just be reading, but actually to get doing. So I'm going to recommend that book as my top takeaway, if I'm honest. There's so, and there's so much in there that covers a lot of what we've talked about. I don't want to, to go over it again, because I'm sure there's more we could say. Yeah. Almost my how-to in this episode, we usually say if you skip to the end, you'll get a summary of what this episode's about. But I almost say, sod it, go back to the beginning and listen to the episode properly. Yeah, <laughs> challenge yourself and challenge your thinking and maybe as part of the discussion we've had, think about how you would have responded to those questions and topics as a leader. 
Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you're the first to receive new episodes when they drop every Thursday. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you would rate it or leave a review. And let us know your thoughts and own experiences. Get in touch with either of us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. Or use the hashtag how to take the lead. Until next week, get out there and take the lead.